Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with HodgePod. We're back again talking another episode, and we're going to be talking Beatles banter number two. We're going to talk the Beatles again, and I have a return guest, Roxanne Ledford, and she's a huge Beatle fan, more than I am. And recently, she went to London, and she went to Abbey Road, which is pretty awesome. We'll hear about that, and we're going to talk about uh, maybe some of the top songs the Beatles sang over the years. We could talk about that. And uh, last episode, we talked about when a little bit when Elvis met the Beatles, and um, it's pretty interesting. I've looked it up, and it's pretty interesting because you look at uh, the different sides. Some said the meeting went very well, and then others, you'll interpretation said the meeting did not go very well, but... We'll talk a little bit about that as well. So, Roxanne, welcome back to uh, my podcast, HodgePod. I'm looking forward to talking Beatles again tonight. Thank you for uh, coming back on. I am so happy to be back. <laughs> I am uh, just thrilled that you invited me back, Rob. A lot of my friends don't like to talk so much Beatles, but uh, I'm glad somebody likes to listen. <laughs> yeah, well, I love the Beatles, and uh, I, you know, ever since we last we last got together on this previous episode, I did a little bit more research on them, and the more and more I find uh, about the Beatles, it's interesting. I'm reading a book now called Liddy Pool. It's the start of the Beatles before they came over, before the Ed Sullivan Show, and they went through multiple band members, and it's like incredible. So it's, it's you got to keep track of it, but we'll talk about that in another episode. So. Um, Basically, recently, since we last spoke, it's like we did the episode, and right after that, uh, something came out from Spotify that the Beatles had their first ever song hit one billion streams. And uh, what was that song, Roxanne? Because I was kind of shocked that they didn't have any one billion streams. What song was that? That would be Here Comes the Sun. Yes, and that's awesome. Am I right? You are 100% correct. And it's interesting about that with the uh, with the Beatles. Uh, do you remember like in the, the streaming, the Beatles were kind of late to the game coming to streaming, I remember. Don't you remember that? I do. Um, there was, I, I wasn't much into streaming, but as far as listening to the Beatles, I have on multiple albums, CDs, cassettes, eight tracks of all of my favorite albums. Um, and they're all out there somewhere. They're just not here with me. So when I finally got on the streaming bandwagon, the first album that I personally added to my collection was Abbey Road. And that's because I, I didn't buy it. I took my CD and I put it on my computer and then downloaded it directly to my phone. That was a lot of work we did back about what ten years ago. Now you just hit it on your phone, and we did. We had to do a lot of work to get it from the CD to the Apple, what I was using at the time, and then you get it onto your device. So it was like I think two or three steps. Now you just one step. You just hit your phone and you're ready to go. So I always thought that. The song, I mean, the earlier songs would have been, you know, one billion streams. I was kind of shocked with that. And it's kind of um, interesting that George Harrison wrote that song, and he did the vocals for that, did he not? He did. He uh, wrote it uh, at his house. And as I understand it, the Beatles were having a rough time 
uh, with their recording session at Let It Be. Um, and he and Eric Clapton uh, were good friends at the time. Eric Clapton also wrote a song uh, at George's house. George at the time lived in Friar Park. And uh, I believe his wife, Olivia, and his son, um, oh, my goodness, I drew a blank. Uh, still live there, but uh-huh. the the thing is, he's walking around, and he just got a feeling that everything was going to be okay, and so it's sort of like the storm is over, and here comes the sun. Wow, that that that, that is a great song. I mean, it really it's a great song to listen to anytime, but like on a Sunday or on a Saturday or on a weekend, it's a great song to listen to. And uh, you definitely pick out those three minutes and six seconds, but it packs a good punch. It was released on September 26, 1969. And uh, George Harrison, of course, wrote that, and it was on the Apple label. It's incredible uh, when you look back at, like, how they hooked up with, like, uh, how he hooked up with Eric Clapton at that time. I mean, Eric Clapton was with Cream, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he hooked up with Eric Clapton. So it's amazing, like, during the Beatles' heyday, like, you see these rock and roll stars, you know, collaborating. I, I think that's pretty awesome. That This is something, that, you know, I learned new, so I think that's pretty awesome. It is a very awesome song, and it, it can lift your spirit no matter what mood you're in. Uh, if you're already up, it can lift you up better. <laughs> if you're, If it's snowing outside and you're trapped and all you have is, you know, stale toast and jam, then, you know, you can listen to that. And it brings your, brings your whole life into something new. Yeah, to be technical, it was the 406th song to hit 1 billion streams. I, I, that's amazing that there's 400 songs, let alone the Beatles. I mean, the number one rock group. So, uh, coincidentally, it was George Harrison, and uh, he did the lead, lead vocals for that. And uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, when the uh, Beatles got into the digital stream, they got into iTunes in 2010 and then other platforms in 2015. So it's really incredible how they um, had their catalog. And then, like, you can just do it at the tip of your fingers. So uh, it's pretty interesting when you when you see that get, get, this is totally off the Beatles path. Uh, it has the top 10 songs that are billion episodes on Spotify. The Weekend Blinding Lights is 3.57 billion streams. That is incredible. Man. I'm going to have to listen to that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put that one on my list. (laughs) That is wild. And then, you know, talking about Abbey Road, uh, you were recently in England, and you happened to go to Abbey Road. So what was that like? And uh, were there a lot of tourists around there? I would suspect there are. There were tourists. There were not as many as what I expected. Uh, When I went to London, I went with my sister and Uh brother-in-law, and I stopped to take a picture, which I always, I I was holding up the crowd the whole time. Um. I stopped to take a picture of a monument in the middle of the street. And my brother-in-law said, we're here. And I said, where? <laughs> I, it looked, <laughs> it didn't look anything like the album 
uh, the crosswalk known as the zebra crossing uh, has been changed. There's uh, squiggly lines in the street. I don't know what they mean, but the the Volkswagen that's on the back of the album cover, Addy Road, was not there. It wasn't <laughs> well, there? Actually, it was not there. <laughs> Surprise, the guy moved his car. Um, but one thing I did get to do was I, I got to talk with uh, the security guard. Uh, of course, he wouldn't let me in. Uh, <laughs> uh, nobody's allowed in there. Uh, they were having a catering uh, event there because an orchestra was recording. So I did get to see it with the, the gate open. It's an iron gate. They have a, a gift shop next door. And I went through the gift shop. They had some pretty neat little items there, which you can still buy online. Um, but the the main thing that, that got me was I kept looking up at the top of the building, wondering how in the world did they climb up there and play? And it bothered me so much last night that I had to look it up. It's not on top of the recording studio. It was done at Three Savile Road, which is very close to Abbey Road mm-hmm. Studios, but it was uh, on top of the offices. And that amazed me. I was, I was blown away that I didn't know that. You know, uh, but the the traffic would stop for you. Uh, nobody got ran over by a car, <laughs> and there was usually about ten people waiting to cross. Wow. Well, you know, it's funny you said that. It's like you you said you got there, and it's like, wow, this is it. It's funny when you go to places like uh, I've been to San Antonio with the Alamo, and you're like wow, you think it's bigger, and it's like all of a sudden you come up on it, it's like, that's it? And, I mean, it's amazing. And when you pulled up, when you walked up to Abbey Road, so right now I'm looking at the album cover, and, uh, you know, the white Volkswagens in, in the background there to the left behind George Harrison. But I was wondering how they went maybe, I don't know if you know anything, but, you know, how they went about the order of who was going to walk and how it transpired because you know John Lennon's leading the way and then Ringo Starr then you got Paul McCartney and then George Harrison so I think it's pretty interesting that Ringo's number two and then Paul was number three the they were McCartney and Lennon were the voice and the face pretty much you know at press conferences for the Beatles so I thought that was the way they did that I think they did that perfect on that album cover a lot of things ended up perfect with the Beatles uh whether it was intentional or unintentional uh, I've seen pictures of them grouped together on the side of the road. Paul McCartney with shoes on, which if you'll note in the album cover, he doesn't have shoes on. Oh, you are correct. Um, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, that goes along with the theory that Paul is dead. He would have been 28 if he died. And if you look at the boat, Volkswagen license plate, it says 28 if. Heck yeah. So there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole conspiracy theory behind it. And Paul McCartney cleared it up by just saying, I know I'm not dead because here I am. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually looking. Go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) He, 
uh, he, uh, Paul McCartney has also said that they're just, they're not dressed for a funeral or anything. This is just the way that they came to the studio that morning. You know, I'm looking at the album cover here. So here comes the sun. Um, this album, they look a lot different, obviously, in the in the in the photograph that when they came in, like when we were talking about in the last episodes, when they came to Memphis in 1966, they looked totally different. They had like the suits on and the short hair and the but they look totally different now. So they uh, they had a different look and uh, the music changed a little bit, wouldn't you think? Oh, yeah, it did. Uh, they went to India and it broadened their minds and you know, through meditation and things. And I think they picked up a habit of doing other things uh, that they had not had before. Uh, I also think that they picked up a habit while they were filming the movie Help, uh, which happened to enlighten their minds um, a little bit, uh, smoking pot. (laughs) 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 But... uh, (laughs) The the thing is, you know, when you when you look at them, they were eighteen years old when they signed contracts. Mm. Uh, George was the youngest, and so by the time nineteen sixty nine comes about, they're all getting married, or you know, uh, in John's case, he he's already divorced Cynthia. He he's marrying Yoko Ono, and you know they're all ready to settle down, which is, you know, the way that they grew up. They grew up in the household much like you and I did. Mm -hmm. It just happened that something in their life just happened to happen that had never happened before. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, when when you talk about that, you know, they definitely had a, I mean, they were just besieged for all that time and, and we had talked in the last episode about how they were you know, at a young age. I mean, they were, I mean, fame and fortune and on on the go all the time. I bet you they were ready to move on with a different phase of their life. And I'm always uh, fascinated by Ringo Starr, you know, the drummer of the Beatles. He always was in the background, but a very important member of the band as well because he was, uh, he was, uh, he replaced Pete Best, did he not, as drummer? He did. He did. And in an interview that Paul McCartney did, he said that when Ringo Starr played, that the other three just said, you know, sort of like, wow, you know, this guy's good. You know, this guy jobs with us. Whereas um, Pete Best, uh, was recommended to be replaced by Brian Epstein. Hmm. So it wasn't that, you know, they were trying to get rid of Pete. It's just that it was recommended that they get a different drummer. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it weird, like, the final product? I mean, with, you know, with Ringo Starr, they all had the look, and I think a lot of it had to do with the look and the persona on stage because you watch some of those videos on stage, and they definitely had it. And the sets that they had looked so simple versus what you see now, elaborate, you know, light shows and elaborate stages. They had a pretty simple stage. It was just the Ringo in the back and then microphones. They were pretty easy back then, but, you know, technology wasn't what it was back then and is now. Isn't that incredible? 
Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with the the TV viewing generation because TV was roughly 10 years old mm-hmm. uh, when they were appeared on Ed Sullivan. You know, I Love Lucy was like 1955. Um, you know, shows such as that, uh, Jack Benny, um, you know, they weren't very, some, some of the shows that we uh, had never seen you know, did not make it through the uh, reruns because of the lighting wasn't there. Right. You know, the, the lighting that um, uh, Desi Arnaz, you know, came up with to, to backlight people so that there's not such a shadow going on. But now, you know, it's, it's all uh, taken in all the senses at a at a concert that's incredible you know including the fireworks yeah <laughs> wow and you know we, we, here in memphis tennessee obviously ellis is big i mean you can drive down elvis presley boulevard and then bam graceland's there and you have the attractions across the street that that whole area around graceland and you know how big memphis is here with the tourists so it's pretty interesting that uh, when you were in England there, so did you see a lot of tourists there? Or was it just pretty much, you know, at maybe the time of the day that you were there? But it seems like everybody would want to be taking pictures at Abbey Road. Uh, I think that probably there were tourists there, but there are so many sites to see in London. Hmm. And Abbey Road is such a small area to look at. Um Paul McCartney lived in a house that had I turned on one street going on my way to a park that same day, I would have passed his house um, or a house that he used to own. It was in St. John's Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I had no idea that it was there. So I didn't. You know, I didn't put that on the list of things to see. Um, I did end up looking it up online, and there's you can only see the top half of the house. So, uh, granted, everywhere we went, we walked. So I was very tired, and I definitely would have camped out in front of the house because I would have been too exhausted to walk any further. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's pretty wild. Uh, so, you know, we talked about Elvis being here in Memphis. So talked a little bit last episode about when Elvis met the Beatles. And uh, depending on who you talk to or who you read or who you see, there's like a split interpretation of like what happened when the Beatles met Elvis. They met on August 27th, 1965, seven days before that I was born. John, Paul, George, and Ringo, with their manager, headed over to see Elvis in Los Angeles. And it's also uh, known that the uh, Beatles definitely pushed for the meeting. And uh, John Lennon once said, without Elvis, the Beatles would not be where they are without Elvis. And, uh, you know, they definitely knew what he was all about. And they were in Los Angeles playing at the Hollywood Bowl there, the uh, concert venue there. That's hard to believe it's still there after all these years. Uh, they ended up seeing Elvis in L.A. 
while they were at the Hollywood Bowl, and Elvis was in L.A. having just returned from his uh, filming in Hawaii of Paradise Hawaiian Style. So I think we talked about last episode, uh, Roxanne, that uh, they kind of got along, but uh, I, I did a little reading, not as uplifting or not as positive as I thought it would be with the great group and the great single artist. And you had said something last episode about maybe being rivals and, you know, Elvis was uh, being put off the pedestal or not pedestal, but, um, you know, off the uh, rock and roll map with the Beatles there. Yeah. um, In in 1965, when they met, you know, the Beatles were climbing up the ladder and Elvis was, he was still the king, no doubt. I mean, I love Elvis's music. Um, the thing is, the relation to children from the 50s uh, that were in their teens were now parents with, you know, young children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's appealing to people from the 50s, whereas the Beatles were appealing to a different crowd and you know that would have made a difference and it's it's sort of like i don't know taylor swift okay granted she's talented she sounds good she's great i just don't care for her music (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know uh and it has nothing to do with her but um it that's the comparison that i make is that you know, Elvis was not selling as much because of the Beatles, probably. And I may be wrong as far as record sales are concerned. But the hype was all on the Beatles at the time and not on Elvis. Mm-hmm. I thought they would have been uh, hyped up to see each other. So according to what you read, they... uh they entered where Elvis was. Elvis was sitting on a couch with a muted television and there was music playing in the background. And uh, it was kind of an awkward situation, I guess, from what at, at the time and the Beatles were starstruck of Elvis. And then it is said that Elvis said, if you guys are going to sit there and stare at me, I'm going to bed. And the Beatles left and that broke the ice. A little. They talked music and they maybe jammed a little bit, but uh, I think that's interesting that they would be nervous uh, seeing Elvis. I remember we did, I did some episodes last year of Van Halen, my favorite group, and uh, they were touring with the Stones. Not touring, but they did a show with the Stones, Rolling Stones at uh, the New Orleans Superdome, and Michael Anthony, was, they were doing a sound check, and Michael Anthony, the bassist for Van Halen, had said he saw Mick Jagger walk out onto stage during their sound check and his jaw dropped. So uh, it's easy to be starstruck. When uh, when you see when you see yeah. somebody, I mean, I, the fact that similar artists, you know, they probably never cross paths, and then they see somebody, and it's like, wow, I can't believe he's standing right in front of me. So I think that, you know, the Beatles were nervous, but uh, it seems like they got along. But I have done some reading, and I've uh, seen some things where Ringo Starr uh, was kind of put off by the Memphis Mafia, the group around Elvis, called them a bunch of sycophants. <laughs> which I thought was yeah. really strange. You know, they, uh, the Memphis Mafia, uh, they really could have chosen a better name for that. <laughs> I True. mean, the Mafia just hangs a stigma on it. 
Uh, I'm sure that they had games, you know, in Liverpool, but, you know, the Beatles didn't really have a quote-unquote mafia that I hung out with them. There was, a, uh, as I know of, of course, you know, Brian Epstein or Epstein, their, their manager, and there was a photographer there, and then also there was a guy from Florida named Larry Kane, K-A-N-E, um, that was on tour with them to report back and uh, do things live, you know, do live uh, newscasts about them. And I don't think Elvis had that, you know, had somebody with him that did live um, mm-hmm. newscasts. But uh, as far as the Memphis Mafia, I don't know. They they probably needed to be around to keep, you know, the girls, the unwanted girls away from Elvis and keep the wanted ones safe. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... You know, there's only one photo that I could find, and it's uh, John Lennon. He's walking out of where uh, Elvis's house is, and then Elvis is to the left. It looked like looks like he's at a door, and that's the only pictures of Elvis or any of the Beatles in the same photo, which is extraordinary because uh, you, you would have thought that they would have taken pictures there, number one, and it was definitely secretive. Uh, Beatles to get there. Uh, got there at like ten o'clock at night. They were there till two in the morning. They only spent about four or five hours with Elvis, but it was definitely a secret, secret meeting between the artist Elvis and the group, the Beatles. And you know, we were talking last episode about you know fame. I mean, you're always on the go. It's amazing how they you have to schedule things at inopportune times just to uh, try to be somewhat normal. <laughs> yeah, and I, if I remember correctly. About two o'clock in the morning was Elvis's normal. Wow. I think he, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the reason why Dr. Nick liked to prescribe things to him so that he could go to sleep when he needed to and so that he could stay up as long as he wanted to. And I'm looking at this uh, report here, this news story that uh, it was a good meeting. Uh, the Beatles and Elvis were not disappointed. That they, they didn't seem the case that they were disappointed about the meeting. Elvis appeared to have enjoyed himself. He told Sonny West, it was a lot better than I thought it would be. That's some good times there. So later that year in 65, Paul and John called Graceland to speak to Elvis. They wanted to thank him for the visit in L.A. So I think there's two sides to every story. People have different interpretations. So I guess if you had to guess... Right. If you had to guess, it was a good meeting. And uh, it's something as well that after uh, he met the Beatles, it kind of um, rejuvenated Elvis a couple years later on his comeback. So uh, not all is bad when they met, but uh, those two heavy hitters there, solo artist and group, it's amazing there weren't pictures taken or like video cameras. I think that would have been incredible, like a press conference together. That would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been for the fans, most definitely. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about how. <laughs> I'm not sure about how the lighting would have been. You know, for someone that stays up till you know all hours of the morning, uh, what kind of lighting 
would have been there. And um, I, I can't see them needing to do a photo op. You know, I think that Elvis agreed because the Beatles wanted to meet, meet him. Just like, you know, they wanted to meet all of the people that they have recorded. You know, uh, Carl Perkins and Little Richard and oh my goodness, so many other oh, yeah. other people that little, they recorded. Little, little Richard, yeah, a lot of those artists, yeah. And yeah, that would have been, uh, you know, they did jam from what I understand for about 45 minutes. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Presley did a little jam session. Colonel Parker with Beatles manager Brian Epstein insisted no pictures or video be taken. So there's the answer to that question. So interesting. Oh, very good. Interesting. Very and there was, good. A reporter, yeah. there was a reporter that was uh, in attendance. His name was Chris, Chris Hutchins. And during that meeting and he, uh, he gave the uh, play by play, I guess you could say of Elvis and the Beatles. But uh, I think that's interesting. No pictures or no video. I, Always find it interesting, you know. Yeah. The 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 back channels. I love there would have been a fly on the wall for that meeting. That would have been sweet. But um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, you know, depending on what list you see for like maybe the top ten songs. We're going to go over a couple of the songs uh, I've gotten this list off of singersroom.com, and every uh, music list of the Beatles is. Objective. Uh, my favorite all-time Beatles song is Ticket to Ride. I just love that song. And uh, Can't Buy Me Love, that's an, also a great song, more of the early Beatles. But the number one song, Roxanne, according to this one, was Yesterday. Not a bad pick. It's a little bit later on, you know, you know, their earlier years, but uh, a different feel, a different, uh, a different sound than they did, you know, with their earlier songs. I think everybody can relate to that one in some way because mm-hmm. there's everyone has made a mistake in their life that they have wished that they could go back and change. And it's a it's a great song unless you hear it too many, many times in a row. And that happened to one of my friends and she said, I don't like the Beatles. And come to find out it was only because of that song. <laughs> and I changed her. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh that is a great song it's kind of a, a nice little flow it, you know mellow song second one is from 1963 yeah. i want to hold your hand so that's more of the earlier stuff but uh that's uh definitely a catchy tune again you know a short song for the beatles i think number 16 on rolling stone's list of 500 greatest songs of all time wow interesting interesting Number three on yeah. this list, A Day in the Life. Interesting. Yeah, that one is uh, it, it is something that you don't really share with other people. It's more of a let me listen to this alone while y'all talk. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, uh, it, it's like some people's songs, you sort of have to get into a zombie. Uh, but the... You know, the song itself, uh, John's reading the paper and he just makes, you know, lines out of what happened that day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 4,000 4, holes in Blackburn, Lancashire. That refers to potholes. Um, the, 
Uh, let's see, what else? Of course, he blew his mind out in a car. A guy had a car wreck. Uh, mm-hmm. He had everything going for him. You know, he was the heir to uh, the Guinness. I, I guess it, I all I can think of when I think of Guinness is beer. But <laughs> yeah, it was based on, it, it was based yeah. on the death of Tara Brown, an heir to the Guinness Fortune, who died in a car accident at only 21 years old. Yeah. And then the second half of the song is just a song that Paul McCartney had that he didn't have an end to or a beginning, either a beginning to and John didn't have an end to. So they, they put it together with a piano note and it worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it, it worked. So. I, one of my favorite songs from the Beatles is The Walrus. I love that song. <laughs> I love the video. Oh yeah, at the Abbey Road Studios, you would you would have loved this. At the Abbey Road Studios store, they had these little shirts, and it said "I am the Walrus," and it had a little cartoon of a ro- of a walrus on it. But it only went to size six, and of course, I would have you know had great questions, which anyone. That is not a grandmother would have great questions about why is this only available in a size six X? And the reason for that is because there was a, a stuffed animal that you could press the button and it would play. I am the walrus <laughs> and I've got one from my grandson and he would, he was like four years old and they, he pressed it, and I got a video of it. And he said, "Good, good, good, you." And I just cracked up every every time I watch it. Um, but he's six now, so he couldn't he couldn't wear the t shirt. <laughs> That's wow. the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that song, "I Am the Walrus," is not on the list, but I just love that song. I love the video. They're out on a field, and it's just. They were ahead of their time, and, you know, music videos in the 60s were kind of coming out. They Well, I wouldn't say that they were coming out, but they were a vehicle for the bands to definitely showcase the monkeys come to mind as well in the 60s with their music videos and the Beatles. So it's just, it's a great, it's a great way to promote that album. Uh, number four, we'll go to number four, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Uh, it's been said that Eric Clapton even shed a tear hearing that song the first time. So uh, quite extraordinary. Another nice song by the Beatles. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a show that I watch. Um, it's McCartney 321 on Hulu. And he went into the studio, uh, the Studio 2, at Abbey Road with Eric Clapton to record. Mm. And he said to Eric Clapton, Paul McCartney said to Eric Clapton, you do realize the last time we were here together was when we were reported, recording while my guitar gently weeps. And he said, I know. And it's just, you know, it was just a, a, a big moment for the two of them, you know, some 40 years later. Wow. Man, McCartney, McCartney, uh, Paul McCartney, he, uh, he definitely collaborated with Michael Jackson in the eighties and 
it's incredible, you know, the career that he had. I mean, Paul McCartney, you look back at it, I wonder if he just sits back and goes, wow, or I don't know. It's just, it's amazing just the, the life of, of Paul McCartney uh, collaborations and the people he came in contact with. Uh, Come Together by the Beatles, uh, your uh, song, it's kind of like a, one of the most, uh, most recognizable songs. If you had to say if it's like a rock song, if you had to put a rock song like you would hear like in the 70s, Come Together would probably be the closest one in my opinion. And Aerosmith even did a cover, and it sounds, Aerosmith doing the cover for it, kind of to that perspective, like a rock, rock song um, versus like, you know, the early stuff. Right. And when uh, you hear uh, Come Together on rock stations more than um, some Beatles songs, so uh, personal opinion, but uh, I think that is a, a spectacular, spe- spectacular song by the Beatles as well. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And then I, I love the way that it begins. Oh yeah, it's like it's like wow. And then number six is on this list from SingersRoom.com. Something number seven. Hey Jude, that's probably. I thought that would be higher up. I thought that would be higher uh, thank up. Thank you. I, I think it's a little long. It's 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 over seven minutes long, and it to me it was a good time to go get a glass of wine at a Paul McCartney concert because you've heard the song before, and everybody's in the in the concert hall singing with him, <laughs> and that means that the lines to the wine is very short, but. Uh, one thing about the going back to the song something, uh, Frank Sinatra has been quoted as saying that's the the most beautiful song ever written. Oh, that's uh. So the chairman of the board liked it. So called it. It was seven minutes long, and it challenged you know according to singer songwriter singersroom dot com, you know. You know, in the days, you know, when radio was uh, all radio, you know, to have a long song like that was unconventional. So, because you would lose the attention. So, it, it challenged uh, radio, but uh, it brought people from different backgrounds, according to this. And uh, as here, let it be the perfect song to play when you've given up on fixing all your problems and just want to wallow in self pity. Interesting. It's amazing how it's amazing how young the Beatles look in these pictures. Man, oh man. Number eight is Let It Be. I know. But Let It Be would be up there with the one through five, but uh, everybody's got their opinion. And then number nine, In My Life. Right. Another great one. And then Strawberry Fields Another Forever. Another great song. Look, totally. It's a great song. Yep. And then it, <laughs> Uh, it has to, I think it has to do a lot with all the new experiments that they did with that song. <laughs> Things that had never been done before on radio. Uh, it's a great song. Uh, it's in Liverpool, so I didn't see it when I was in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCartney has signed the Strawberry Fields, uh, plaque, uh, I saw it on the James Corden show. Or is it Corden or Corbin? I think it's James Corrigan. I think it's James Cor- Corgan. Corgan, yeah, I think you're correct. C-R-D-E-N, yeah. 
Yeah, I watched that. I've, I've rewatched that at least once a year. Uh, it's, it's a great show. But um, I would not have picked that as my number one. Um, my number one today would have to be, I have no idea. No, I don't have a number one today yet. Mine's- I listened to Paul McCartney today, not the, not the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is Ticket to Ride. I love that song. I absolutely love that song. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's interesting, you know, when you look back. Yeah, at- that is. I know. Uh, I saw her standing there. Is is oh, way up on my list. Yeah, that's a great song. I would have picked that. Forget that one. Jeez. They have, yeah. <laughs> they have so many. They have so many. You could, you could do a, you could do a, you could do a podcast episode on each album. But they're, it's amazing how they transpired and how they evolved with their music and their look and throughout all those years. And like uh, John Lennon was murdered the at his age of forty, and uh, and you know he died in two thousand one. It didn't seem like it was two thousand one, but it was. That's a long time ago. Twenty two years ago. That was just in, in you know, incredible. Day. Right. And, um, but, uh, yeah. And, you know, they've had quite a influence on a lot of groups. Um, I have a chance to listen to, uh, so seeds of love. And, uh, also, uh, it's only natural by crowded house. I think you'll, you'll hear that Beatles influence. And I love like the punk group, the clash. They talk about phony Beatlemania, like in the early eighties, uh, group into they was a show out uh Beatlemania like a cover band for the Beatles so can't copy them but um I always find that interesting how groups look back at the Beatles and uh it's pretty awesome. For fears I, I definitely remember thinking, you know, in the eighties that that sounded really close to uh what could have been a Beatles song. But there are so many people that have redone some Beatles songs that um, Allison Krauss does one mm. that just brings me to tears every time I listen to it. It's uh, written by Paul McCartney. It's off the White Album. It's called I Will. It just, oh, it just breaks me up, you know. Mm. But the other, uh, the other band that you mentioned, I will listen to. I think um, you'll, you will you will hear it. I, I it's just my opinion. Um, it, I heard it. I was like, wow. And I and I I didn't even look it up, but I would think that Crowded House was from the Beatles. And you had talked about uh, you know uh, Deeds of Love by uh, Tears for Fears. The beginning of that song it, it sounds something like you would hear off a band. Um, I think that is just. And then in the middle of the song, I'm not musically inclined, but just it has that Beatles feel, Beatles nice flow to it. Um, when you know, you know, did they try to do it? But if they didn't try, they did a heck of a job because it sounds just like the Beatles. I love that song. Well, I guess you know you couldn't fool me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I tell you what, you know your Beatles, you know your Beatles facts because uh, the research that I did here. Uh, you, you've you had everything that uh, I do. I have to do a little bit of research, so I'm not as astute as you are with Beatles knowledge, but um, I do love the Beatles, and I love learning something new, and I'm reading a book right now called Liddy Pool 
about uh, the Beatles when they came up in the late 50s and how different band members and how they became the Quarrymen and these different uh, band names, and they came up with the Beatles, how they spelt the Beatles. And uh, I'm, I'm really learning a lot about, like, how they were um, got to where they were at. I mean, the road, they just didn't show up on the Ed Sullivan Show with a lot of years of hard work. It, it was not a lucky shot. <laughs> no, and also, you know, of it, you know, I think of the Beatles. I know that there was that part of '57 through, you know, the early '60s of the Quarrymen, but you know, you just think they just pop up and hey, here are the Beatles. No, it's not the case. They they worked hard. They they crafted their um, their their music and uh, the number one rock and roll band of all time. So. Uh, Roxanne, I want to thank you again for um, joining me for another episode on the Beatles. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We have another episode that just came out a few days ago. It's episode 31 of my podcast, and we talked the Beatles, uh, just Beatles banter, the mid-60s, and when they were here in Memphis. So I hope you can listen to that. And Roxanne, thank you so much for uh, joining me. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I love talking Beatles with you. Much, Rob. I enjoy it too. Call, call me anytime. You got it.